Welcome to Facebooking Conversations. In this episode, Marcos Leon focuses on the topic Patterns of Reactivity to Anxiety. This conversation was originally recorded in September of 2020. We want to remind you that Facebooking's mission is to make wholeness possible for individuals, communities, and the world. Visit us at www.fitwalking.us. Join this conversation. Till I'm looking through the eyes of love I'm gonna look twice at you Until I see the Christ in you I'm gonna look twice at you My name is Marcos Leon and I want to tell you about patterns of reactivity to anxiety. Before talking about the patterns, it's important to remember some of the concepts that we have developed in previous conversations. First uh, thing to remember is the definition of anxiety. We say that anxiety is that intense emotion we experience when we are faced with a perceived threat or a real threat. And this intense emotion takes away, steals our ability to think clearly seems that we have uh, two systems that can operate only one at a time. It is either our emotional system that happens to be operating in a very intense way when we are in the midst of anxiety, and, uh, or the, the other system is our thoughtful system, our reasoning system. It operates from the prefrontal cortex in, in our brain that happens to, to be easier to access when we are calm. So when we are in experiencing intense emotions that are characteristic of anxiety, our reasoning decreases, our capacity to engage in thoughtful response decreases. It's important to remember too that anxiety is contagious and cumulative. And what we mean is that when you enter in a room and there are a group of people who are experiencing anxiety for one reason or another, you don't need anybody to tell you what's going on you actually can feel and perceive the anxiety in the system, the emotional temperature of the room. And what happens is your anxiety gets triggered. And usually your anxiety joins the anxiety of the group. And this might not be very helpful, especially when behaviors are not helpful in the midst of, of conflict and in the midst of anxious situations. And we say that it's cumulative because different situations in your life trigger anxiety, and they are not related, but they cause a burden of anxiety to you that gets heavier as things uh, keep adding to it. So you might have a problem at your, uh, at your job, and then you might have a conflict with a family member, and you might have another situation with a friend, and all this adds up, and you find yourself unconsciously carrying this burden of anxiety that is evident when you overreact, when you find yourself overreacting to situations that shouldn't cause that overreaction, you can tell that your burden of anxiety is high. Finally, it's important to remember that anxiety activates automatic processes in your body, in your emotions and your behavior. You don't choose to, to engage in those emotions or behaviors or feel that way, but it's all this is triggered and is engaged or activated because of anxiety. 
So when we talk about reactivity to anxiety, what we are talking is about those predictable and automatic ways in which you behave in situations of anxiety. So as you learn to become more self-aware and see yourself the way that you're happening in situations of anxiety, that is part of the work of anxiety, you recognize that the ways in which you react to anxiety are predictable and automatic, and, and they become patterns that you actually can, can uh, observe uh, in different contexts. This, uh, this reactivity is uh, what we call the autopilot of anxiety because it happens in such a way that it's like if you engage in an autopilot way of being when anxiety triggers. Is reflected, uh, the, your reactivity is reflected in behaviors, in emotions, and in understanding or, or a way of seeing and understanding the world or the people that are causing anxiety. Usually you can see and track patterns of thought or patterns of emotions, that you, the emotions that you are feeling or patterns of behavior. And we're going to talk about those, those patterns in a minute. But before doing that, it's also important to start making a distinction that is very helpful to understand the patterns of, of reactivity. And this distinction is between reaction and response. So when we talk about reactions, we are talking about reactions that are not reason, not reason, not thoughtful. They, they happen automatically. That's the first characteristic of those reactions. The second characteristic is that they, these reactions usually focus on self-defense against perceived threats. And the final characteristic is that they happen without much effort, precisely because they are automatic. They just happen. And many, many times you are aware of these reactions only after the fact, only when you calm yourself and you look back, you're able to see, oh my gosh, I really didn't <laughs> make any effort to become angry. And it just happened naturally. So those are reactions. The distinction between reactions and responses when we talk about responses, we're talking about responses that are recent, that they are intentional. They, they constitute a choice that you have made. That is the first characteristic. In contrast with the not recent reactions, you have responses that are thoughtful. The second characteristic of responses is that they focus not in self-defense against a threat that is perceived or real, but they focus on on reflecting in your behavior, in, in your way of being, your core values and the guiding principles that you have chosen for your life. So the, the focus of responses not only is thoughtful, but somehow represents the person that you want to be in a given situation. Do you want to be faithful? Do you want to be loving, kind, gentle? Those are your guiding principles and a response it focuses in, in being who you really are, who you really want to be. The final characteristics, uh, characteristic of responses is that they require, in some level, your willpower. You know, we talk about prefrontal cortex being the, the high part of the brain. And to access and operate from the high part of the brain, you, you need energy. It requires, it requires intentionality and effort from your part. 
in contrast to reactions. Reactivity operates in the lower part of the brain, the amygdala, and you don't need any kind of effort. It just, you just engage in those behaviors. So this distinction between reactions and responses is very helpful as we explore these patterns of reactivity to anxiety. So we think and we recognize four patterns. We will develop each one of them in a minute. The first one is conflict. The second pattern is distancing. The third pattern is actually a, a mix of two patterns, but they are so related that they are in only one category. Is the pattern of overfunctioning and underfunctioning. And finally, the, the last pattern is projection or triangling, as we refer to in, in other places. So let's talk about conflict. Conflict is the first pattern of reactivity. And all patterns of reactivity, they are seeking to eliminate or reduce anxiety. You know, anxiety is uncomfortable. You don't want to feel it. So these patterns of, of reactivity they are trying to eliminate, to, to, to fix the anxiety, to reduce the anxiety. Conflict is the pattern in which you are trying to reduce or eliminate anxiety through exercising control over the person that is in front of you, causing that anxiety, or over the situation that is, is producing that anxiety. This conflict can be intense, as in an argument, and yelling, and even physical conflict. In, in the extreme, or it can be not intense. It can be very mild, but this is still conflict. We are reminded that uh, when you're trying to persuade somebody to, to do something or to think in a way or to choose in a specific way, you are ex exercising the pattern of conflict. You are trying to control. You are not yelling, but you are still in this pattern of conflict. This uh, pattern of reactivity can also be active or passive. That means that I can be actually pursuing that conversation or that argument, or I can be trying to force and exercise control in an indirect way by doing or not doing some, some things. But my motivation is to force my way into the situation, and, and that is what characterizes conflict. This uh, pattern, like all the other patterns, might be constructive or destructive. And uh, we will explore what makes it constructive or destructive uh, later. But uh, there are moments in which uh, having a, a, a good conversation, a good argument in which you are able to say what is soft for you and express what you need and what you don't need, it is important. It is the way to approach uh, a problem and to somehow face the anxiety in a good way. There are other times in which this pattern is destructive. So let me give you a few examples of what, uh, what it looks like when you are in a conflict pattern. So when I start to criticize others, I'm in conflict. When I start to blame others for actions or, or injustices that I perceive, I, I blame them, I'm pointing my finger, I'm in conflict. When I insist that my way of seeing things is the right way, I'm conflicting. When my reaction, reactions and re relationships start reflecting some this level of disrespect or abuse, I am in conflict. When my tendency is to argue, to debate, or to fight, the pattern that I'm showing or, or acting is conflict. 
So that is that's conflict. Distancing. This is uh, also a pattern that is trying to eliminate and reduce anxiety, but the, the strategy of this pattern is different. It's not through conflict. It is actually through distance. So this distancing might be obvious. I might actually intentionally even say, you know, I'm, I'm done with this. Or it might be concealed, might be kind of hidden. You know, I, I'm asked, uh, somebody asks me, how are you? And I say, I'm okay. But internally, I am distancing. I'm not okay. And I just don't say it. This pattern might be, uh, or this distancing might be physical. And actually might leave the room. I might leave the conversation or the house. Or might be emotional. I might stay in there, but uh, emotionally distant. I'm here, but I am not here. As with conflict, distancing might be constructive in some places or in some moments when you need some clarity to, to center yourself. Uh, before having a conversation that is more helpful, or it might be destructive. Uh, it's uh, interesting to, to think uh, and to remember that the ultimate distancing is, is suicide. You know, the ultimate cutting off people uh, is, is cutting off my own life. And that is obviously an extreme case. Some examples of this pattern in, in motion. So when I create extended periods of no communication with somebody and distancing, obviously. And usually that happens because there is some anxiety that is triggered in the midst of our relationship. When I work too hard, I'm distancing. So work addiction, in a way, might be a form of distancing myself from the problem that I don't, I'm not wanting to face at home with my kids, with my wife. I'm distancing and, and and using work as as the tool or the excuse to distance. Same thing with different uh, focus on hobbies or, or activities. When the motivation of that is is actually distancing, distancing from the the real problem, there are patterns of of distancing. When I have a tendency to stay quiet, I notice that I stay quiet in conversations that generate anxiety. I don't say what I think. I don't say what is soft for me. I am distancing too. The next pattern, uh, remember, this is a combination of, of two patterns, you know, over-functioning and under-functioning. And it's important to remember that all, always when there is an over-functioner, it's because there is, there is an, uh, an, an under-functioner in the same place. It's kind of a, a symbiotic re uh, relationship. Let's talk about over-functioning. This pattern also tries to eliminate or reduce anxiety by appeasing the situation, by taking responsibilities that are not mine to take. So when, when I, I start doing or becoming responsible for things that are not mine to be responsible, I am over-functioning. So this might be direct or indirect. I might actually say, I'll do it, right? But I'm saying that just to fix the anxiety. I don't do it because uh, any other higher motivation, but just to fix the problem, to get over the problem, I'm over-functioning. Or it might be indirect. I don't say anything, right? I just start doing it. That is the same pattern. It might be also active or emotional. And what I mean active, it might be specifically about a task. Okay, I'm going to take care of that. Or my V emotional, I start taking care of people, 
being responsible for people that uh, are not my responsibility, being responsible for emotions in other people that I cannot be responsible for. So that is other function. And remember, there are times with, with choosing to do something for somebody else might be a reflection of love and then a good way to go. But there are other times when I am doing that just because I want to fix the anxiety and, and keep peace and appease the relationship. Usually that is a, a non-constructive way to use this pattern of reactivity. So examples of other functioning. When I offer my advice without being asked, this other functioning. When I do things for others that they can do for themselves, I'm other functioning. When I feel responsible for others and think that I know what is best for them, I'm a verb functioner. When I speak more than I listen, or when I set goals for others that they have not set for themselves, I am over functioning. So, under functioning, it helps us also understand over functioning, right? In under functioning, the pattern or the strategy to eliminate or reduce anxiety is by actually allowing others to take responsibilities that are mine, that they shouldn't have, that they, they should not take because they are mine, right? So I, I choose for, to let others do things that I should be doing, as an example. It might be direct or indirect, so I might actually ask for, other, for somebody to do what I need to do, or it might just that I just don't do it because I know that the other functioner is going to do it. It might be active. It might be around tasks and, and, and things to do. Or it might be uh, emotional. I'm not going to even take care of, of, of that. I'm not going to deal with that anger because, if you know, the other person is going to over-function to appease my anger. So those are examples. It might be constructive or destructive. It might be a moment when... I need help and I can let somebody do something for me. It might be a, 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 in the context of a, of, a, of a loving intention or it might be destructive when I am just constantly letting, letting people uh, do things that I should be doing. So examples. When I prefer to ask for advice without first thinking about how I want to solve things, you know, Many of us might, might relate with that uh, or, or not. You know, we immediately go to others to tell us what to do instead of actually sitting, uh, praying, or just considering what is the way that we would like things to, to happen, things to, to be resolved. When I ask others to help me when I don't really need their help, that's under function. When I don't take responsibility for my own emotions or responsibilities in life, I'm over-functioning. When I listen more than I speak, I'm over-functioning. Or when I let other people think for me, I'm under-functioning. All those are examples of under-functioning. So the last pattern is projection or triangling, how it is also referred to. This pattern uses the strategy or projecting the anxiety onto someone or something else. To, to appease, to, to, to reduce, to eliminate anxiety. So we, we, we might use, you might use projection towards other people. You might blame other people. The anxiety, the problem is because of 
his problem or his fault or the government or or you know the rich or the poor or men or 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 people a group of people of, of one specific person or you might uh, triangle or, or project towards behaviors thinking wow it's because you always do this thing it's because this always happens because they always do this thing. Those behaviors are the, the goal or the uh, uh, target in which we project the anxiety. It might be obvious or it might be disguised. You know, sometimes the conversation of sharing and sharing the prayer uh, request becomes actually uh, a context for gossiping. And the only uh, objective of gossiping it is, it might be unconscious, but it is just a piecing anxiety, right? As uh, with the other patterns, it might be constructive or destructive. So there are times in which actually having a coach or a counselor or, or somebody else to speak into my life and help me process out loud the situation before I process with the, with the person that I need to process might be very helpful and constructive. And there are other times when I'm just adding other people and trying to deal uh, with anxiety with the other people without going to the person that actually is the person that I need to talk. Usually that doesn't solve anything. It's not constructive, it's destructive. Examples of projection. When I go to a third person to speak, to criticize the person whom I feel anxiety instead of facing him or her directly. When I gossip, when I pay too much attention to other people's problems and not the problems that I need to, to face. When I speak more about other people than about myself. Those are examples in which projection can be what is going on. So those are the patterns. Now, there are a few things to consider as you seek to understand your own patterns. First, it's important to, to recognize that uh, your patterns might vary according to the context and the, and the nature of the relationship that is involved. So I might have, yes, one or two patterns that are actually my to-go patterns in, in general. I, I'm, I might see myself as an over-functioner and a distancer. Right? That is usually what I do by default, if you want, with my anxiety. But, but then I notice that I have a specific pattern with my wife. It might be conflict right? Anxiety gets triggered and I find myself conflicting with her or with my kids. But I have a different pattern with my boss or, or with my co-workers. It may be that with my co-workers I distance or I underfunction. So the thing is, even though the context and nature of relationships uh, are going to show us different patterns, it is very predictable to see the patterns in this context and this nature of relationships. So the work of self-awareness is important. You start observing your patterns, patterns, and then you can actually gain some awareness to choose, to, to respond instead of react. So that is kind of the work that we are doing with these patterns. Second, and it has been expressed, but it's, it's good to reiterate, patterns are neither good or bad in themselves. Conflict is not always bad and not always good. And same thing with distancing and, and the other patterns. What is, is the understanding is the patterns are not healthy when they reflect reactions or reactivity, okay? So remember, when they are not reason, 
They are not thoughtful. They are just reactions that come automatically. And when they are focused mainly or only in eliminating the anxiety or threat, usually they are not healthy. They are kind of patterns of reactivity that comes from my, I'm going to call it this way, my little self, my, my little me, who is only trying to fix the anxiety and get over the problem. Usually patterns are not healthy. Now, patterns become healthier. They are healthy. Conflict becomes the way to go for a distance in a way to, to have a conversation, to face the conversation, or a, a distance, a time of, of, of clarity, a time of, of prayer, a time of, of uh, considering possibilities before I first face the conversation. So patterns become healthy when they reflect responses, right? Thoughtful, reason, intentional choices. And they are health, uh, healthy when all, they focus in reflecting your core values and your guiding principles, reflecting somehow the choices of the person that you want to be, especially when you are calmer. Again, loving, faithful, gentle, a good husband, a good father. So in those cases, I might choose conflict. I might choose distancing, but they come from a motivation that is very different than reactivity. And that is the work. So our goal in understanding our patterns of reactivity is actually gaining the awareness of what is what we're doing. So with practice, we can move reactivity towards response, uh, automatic towards intentional, you know, not reason towards reason. And, and that is the work that we are trying to do. So let me uh, talk about the... Uh, a brief reflection around uh, this idea of the patterns. And I have chosen a, a passage that is probably very known and very familiar for us. It's the passage of, of Peter uh, denying Jesus uh, when Jesus was already um, a, in, in the hands of the Romans, Roman authorities. And you know the, the, the passage. I'm going to read a few verses just to remember what, that's what we see happening here. So in, in uh, Luke 22, uh, Luke tells the story this way. Then a servant girl, seeing him, Peter, as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, this man also was with him, with Jesus. But he denied, saying, woman, I do not. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. But Peter said, man, I am not. And after an interval of about one hour, still another insistent saying, certainly this man also was with him, Jesus, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he said to him before the rooster crows, today you will deny me three times. And Peter went out and wept bitter. And the reflection here is just considering how, you know, Peter loved Jesus. Peter, Peter really left many things to follow Jesus. Peter, Peter was trying to defend Jesus. Peter actually walked a few steps on water when Jesus called him. So his best self 
was to love and to be faithful to Jesus. But in the moment of anxiety, in the moment of a threat, in the moment of, of the danger of being accused and being punished and suffer with Jesus, anxiety took over the best self of Peter and, in a way, uh, made him respond from his little self, a Peter who was uh, hiding, a Peter who, who was denying the person that he loved. So that's what anxiety does to us. Now, the, the story doesn't end there, and you know that there was uh, redemption for Peter. And there was uh, many ways in which Peter had a chance right after, you know, the Holy Spirit came right after. Uh, in the book of Acts, we see how G uh, Peter becomes a very articulate voice that affirms uh, this faithfulness for Jesus. Even his death in traditional uh, story of, 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 of the church, we know that Peter died and he would suffer. He was not afraid at the end to suffer for Jesus. But you see, that happened usually after uh, this understanding of what can uh, happen to us because of anxiety. So, that is a good reflection for us, uh, to choose our best self, uh, to, to be reflected in our responses instead of just reacting to anxiety uh, in an automatic way. So this is the practice that I encourage you to engage in as you consider this idea of the patterns. First, prepare. Prepare yourself. Set aside 30 minutes to meditate, to pray, to center your heart in the presence of God. Start by taking two or three deep breaths. Be silent for two or three minutes. Allow your heart to be ready to connect with God. Then reflect. Reflect on a recent occasion when you experience anxiety. And wonder and consider what patterns of reactivity to, to anxiety can you recognize in yourself? Conflicting, distancing projecting. Remember, there's no judgment and condemnation. This is about learning. Consider what was the impact of that reactivity in your life, in your relationships, people that were close to you, that you love, that love you. And consider how would you have responded in the same circumstances if instead of anxiety or despite of anxiety, you, you would have chosen your guiding principles, your core values, the person that you really wanted to be. Present your reflections to God and ask Him to help you see and overcome this anxiety. Be humble, be honest, be courageous and, and full of faith, knowing that God is inviting us to overcome this. He tells us, do not be afraid. Finally, I encourage you to share what you're learning. Articulate your learning by expressing that in conversation with somebody that you love and that you trust. Share. What are you learning about the patterns of reactivity to anxiety? For more information about Faith Walking, visit www.faithwalking.us. We want to remind you that Faith Walking exists because of your financial support. Please consider giving at feedwalking.us slash donate. Thank you for listening. Until I see the Christ in you. Till 
I'm looking through the eyes of love Till I'm looking through the eyes of love